Welcome to Financial Excellence with Game Changers, presented by SAP, helping you to run simple. Host and moderator Bonnie D. Graham talks with the experts about how game-changing technologies can help you achieve financial excellence for your company. Now, here's Bonnie D. Graham. Welcome, welcome, welcome. If you want to run with the Game Changers, you are in the right place. And it's true. So let's see what the buzz on the street is today. I have a quote from Rich Roram at Deloitte from an interview on Wall Street Journal, WSJ.com. Let me read this and it'll get us set up for our topic today. So working capital optimization, those are three words you want to remember for the next hour. Working capital optimization is increasingly on board's radar as they look for opportunities to enhance shareholder value. Just let that sink in for a second. That's what we're talking about today. So let me explain a little bit more before I introduce our three esteemed panelists. Responsibility for managing inventory and managing payables and managing receivables and managing cash is spread unevenly across many operations in your company, finance, operations, supply chain, marketing, sales, and procurement. How can you achieve working capital optimization despite all of these silos, all of these places and people trying to get it done? Well, let's take a big view. Let's talk about what your CFO needs to be doing. Needs, yes, it is time to think holistically about working capital optimization across the full value change chain. Why? Because the CFO needs to make it part of the daily operations of your entire operation. Now, can technology help? Yes, of course. Automation and artificial intelligence will enable your treasury team to make good decisions, the right decisions at the right time, and more important, to have them give them ability to guide the operational units across your company in the right direction so that we're breaking down the silos and everybody's moving toward the right goal. I have three panelists who are going to help us figure this out. This is a very interesting topic. We've never covered it in seven seasons on financial excellence, and it is time. So first up, I will be introducing you in a moment to Gerhard Urbach. I'll spell his last name if you want to look him up, E-U-R-U-R-B-A-S-C-H, joining him on the panel. And he is, by the way, at the Hackett Group. And a shout out to Nilly Asades, who was on just a couple of weeks ago with us. Also on the panel is Denise McGuigan. I'll spell her last name, M-C-G-U-I-G-A-N. She's a senior manager of SAP Package Technologies at Deloitte Consulting. Shout out to our good friends at Deloitte, including Carla Neal. Hello, Carla. And rounding out the panel, they're all newcomers by the way, to Game Changers. Andy Baxter, manager of SAP Ariba Payables. There's that payables word, Andy. Glad to have you on the panel. So let's see what quotes they sent me today. Gerhard at the Hackett Group has sent a quote from Wilhelm Conrad Rentgen, R-O-N-T-G-E-N, with two little dots over the O. If the name sounds familiar, I'll tell you, it probably is. 1845 to 1923, a German physicist, he was the discoverer of the X-ray or the Rentgen X-rays. He was a physics Nobel laureate in 1901, and he is a native of Gerhard's hometown, another reason that he picked the quote. So here's the quote. I wish human beings were as transparent as a jellyfish so we could identify the source of their pain. Well, that's an interesting quote. Gerhard, welcome to Game Changers. How are you? I'm very well, Bonnie. Hi, everyone. Uh, yeah, what has the quote to do with working capital? Um, <laughs> basically, it's all about transparency and, and information and uh, obviously on process performance uh, on the one hand. 
And on the other hand, information itself uh, is a commodity. So the better coordinated the flow of information and the decision-making, the better, meaning information actually substitutes uh, capital tied up and improves cash. So in the same way that we can remedy pains once we know where their sources lie. So uh, in order to improve people's quality of life, that's why I picked it. Very interesting. I thought we were talking about uh, jellyfish. You know, jellyfish are stingers, and they're they're feared, and you can scatter everybody on a beach if you say there's a, sw- I don't know what you call it, Gerhard, a swarm, a school, a nest, whatever it is, of jellyfish. I'll have to look that one up. I thought maybe it was like uh, we want to scare everybody away because the new CFO is powerful and omniscient and holistic, and everything's going to be better. Any thoughts on that interpretation? <laughs> <laughs> you know, I live in Miami, and I'm actually glad that we don't have a lot of jellyfish there. But, no, it's, I think information is absolutely critical. And, of course, the better we manage it, uh, the less working capital we need, the more cash we have. And, and that's why it's very important. Uh, and I think we'll, we'll speak more about technology as well. That's a key enabler, of course, uh, uh, on the performance of working capital. Thank you very much. Very happy to have you here. And a shout-out, as I said, to Nilly. You work closely with Nilly, Mercedes? Uh, I actually don't, but I know oh. her, um, I know her well, yes. Coincidentally, uh, she was on Financial Excellence a couple weeks ago, and I've invited her back for part two of that topic in a couple of months on our main flagship show, Coffee Break with Game Changers. So appreciate your being here. Thank you very much. We have a lot more to hear from Gerhard. Second up, Denise McGuigan at Deloitte. And Denise sent us a quote that's very familiar, but I looked it up. I wanted to take it apart a little bit. Denise, forgive me for deconstructing the quote. Let me read the quote. The best way to predict the future is to create it. And Interestingly enough, Alan Kay said the best way to predict the future is to invent it in 1971. Peter Drucker paraphrased it in 1986 as the best way to predict the future is to create it. So we have two versions. Anybody want to know who they are? Alan Curtis Kay, born in 1940, American computer scientist. And let's see, Peter Drucker. Everybody knows who Peter Drucker is. So Denise McGuigan, welcome to Game Changers. How are you? And tell us how this quote applies to our fascinating topic today, Denise. Thank you very much, Bonnie. I'm doing very well. Thank, thank you for having me on the show. So this quote, the best way to predict the future is to create it. So this quote actually resonates with me, and it's really around some of the work I do um, around digital finance transformation. So if I think through, you know, the rapid advances in technology and what's really going on within the finance space today, I typically like to spend time with my clients, not necessarily talking about what their problems are, but what their aspirations are, or where mm-hmm. do they aspire to be, and what is the future of finance. So to, to really, truly transform and become digital, right? So if you think through it, business and IT must obviously align um, on a clear vision, have very clear objectives and priorities so they can start on that, on that digital journey. And they really, really have to understand what the big T in transformation really means, means for the company. And all this kind of leads to questions such as, you know, well, how, do, how can I be more proactive? And if I bring this quote back to the working capital optimization, it's how do I manage the working capital metrics real time, right? So how quickly can I convert cash? And how do I develop an operating model around all of this? And how do I double down on, on business insights around working capital? So if I, you know, for example, pay my vendors um, a week later and tighten some customer payment terms, what mm-hmm. does that really mean to my cash conversion cycle and is it enough? And, you know, with technology and looking how finance has now truly become real-time and the shift is moving to self-service and 
self-delivery models and, and really a combination of humans, algorithms. Um, you know, really my thoughts are companies nowadays really have to embrace the technology and they really have to reimagine working capital optimization. And I see that as really creating the future for your finance organization. So with where we are today, I really feel that now is the time to create the future. And that is how you will be successful. Thank you very much. Wonderful explanation and appreciate that. And and I'm going to ask you later in the show, Denise, you know, this is not an interview, but I'd love to know your thoughts on young ladies, girls getting into STEM programs and learning about science, technology, finance, and having careers like you have. I'm, I'm a big admirer of what you do. So I just wanted you to know that. And now let's move right. to and Yes. And Andy Baxter at SAP Ariba Payables. Andy has sent us a quote from Ben. Benjamin Franklin. Let's see. We've got a lot of dates here for Franklin. 1706 to 1790, an American polymath and one of the founding fathers of the United States. I love it when they put together bios of these people, Andy, who who did so much in their lives, and they just string a whole bunch of things together. A leading author, a printer, a political theorist, a politician, Freemason, postmaster, scientist, inventor, humorist, civic activist, statesman, and diplomat. And he was a major figure in the American and Enlightenment and history of physics for his discoveries regarding electricity. He f- discovered the lightning rod, bifocals, I know, the Franklin stove, etc., etc. And he founded Philadelphia's fire department and he founded the University of Pennsylvania. Andy, do you think Ben Franklin was a little busy? I uh, I would think so, and who knows? Maybe he was a working capital expert along there, along the <laughs> lines as well. Touche. Uh, well, I'm I'm going to read the quote so you can relate it. The quote is: "When you're finished changing, you're finished." And we've had similar quotes from Bob Dylan and others who are obviously much younger than Ben Franklin. So, Andy Baxter, officially welcome. Love the quote. How does it relate to our topic? Go ahead. Great. Thanks for having me, Bonnie. So, you mm-hmm. know, I would argue today and. You know, it was sort of mentioned by, by Gerhardt um, before as well, that, you know, the pace of change today is, I'd argue, faster than ever, right? The way that we interact with each other, the way that we share information, the way that we move from point A to point B, all of these things are, are evolving. And, you know, I think it really creates great disruption and the need for us to, to consolidate or distill down what it means for us and how we need to use all this new technology or new structure to make our lives more efficient. Um, so change is constant, right? And I think this is a, it, it's a good quote for, for all of our, for, for many parts of our lives. But how does this relate to working capital? So mm-hmm. the working capital improvement, whether it be, you know, improving inventory on hand, reducing, you know, day sales outstanding or, or lengthening DPO, um, it continues to be a very, very top priority of CFOs world, worldwide. And it's likely not going to change any time going forward as, as companies continue to look for ways to add value to compete on a global scale and add value for their, to, to their shareholders. Um, but, but I think what's sometimes missed in all this is that, you know, working capital optimization can't just be something that, you know, is, is deemed to be important at a CFO or board level. It really transcend, transcends finance and goes down to operations. It truly is a change management process. It truly mm-hmm. is a change management program. And the most efficient and effective uh, companies that I've seen um, that have been able to efficiently manage their working capital um, and build shareholder value are those that um, have a complete buy-in from a, from, from a shareholder and stakeholder perspective. They understand that they need to change. And in order to be effective and to do well at this, they need everyone involved. 
including operations, including finance, including the CEO. Everyone needs to be on the same page and understand that this will continually evolve. This will continue, continually change. We're not going to set it. We're not going to forget it. We're going to make mm-hmm. sure that this is a process that we put in place on a go-forward basis. Thank you very much, Andy. I have a question for the whole panel. I'm just going to run this around the table quickly. How does how does a CFO, a Treasury team, a finance group, how do they know when it's time to buckle down and say, "Whoops, we got to do something about our working capital"? Is it a question of defaults? Is it a question of OMG uh, uh, financial statements that come back? Is it a question of of the board saying, "Well, what's your reserve? What's your capital? What? Are we, why are we always so close to the edge every week or every month?" Gerhard, where where, where is the red flag that they would listen to a show like we're having today where we say it's time to look holistically? What happens where they get to that point? Do they have to get that close to the edge of danger? Gerhard, quickly, your thoughts? Yeah, thanks very much uh, for the question, Bonnie. Yeah, I think actually um, I think one needs to distinguish uh, on where we are actually in the in the business cycle and in the interest rate cycle. I mean, We've seen this, we've observed this, uh, we've been observing this now for the fifth decade uh, mm-hmm. overall, and obviously in periods of high interest rates, yeah, when, when money okay. is, uh, is expensive, this is very high on the radar screen. And obviously we are moving into a phase now where we see higher interest rates and there's more urgency um, and the topic is more important. That on the one hand. Now, we've had low interest rates for a very long time. And actually I've personally uh, led quite a few assignments where actually the starting point was that the CFO and also the treasurer, um, they saw that they were reaching worrying levels of, uh, well, almost liquidity (laughs) and that they needed to do something about working capital and that they needed to, uh, well, tear down the silos and really establish cross-functional processes that would improve working capital. So, yeah, that's, I've, I've actually been, been, been called in many situations uh, uh, like that yeah, recently. And we now see a greater interest now, um, um, actually now that interest rates are, uh, are increasing again. Yeah, also mm-hmm. when companies are not in an almost or close to crisis situation. Thank you very much. Almost or close to crisis. That's what I was going for. Thank you very much. Denise McGuigan, love to get your thoughts on this. How do they know? Do they have to be in crisis mode to say, whoops, time to take a step back? What do you think? Yeah, yeah, I, w- I would agree definitely on the, the interest rates. And, you know, debt up to this point has been relatively inexpensive, right? But things are about to change. And when when companies are under pressure, right, all of a sudden efficient working capital management, that shits way up on the agenda. And it's really not that easy to react to change um, on the fly. Um, what we've seen in the marketplace, when we talk to our CFOs, over 80% of them um, are really seeking an appropriate working capital optimization strategy. Um, and they realize that they've not really spent the time investing in that transformation model to ensure that data, process, um, technology, and the workforce are all, all very well aligned. Um, and what's interesting is, and it doesn't always necessarily have to wait until you're in crisis mode. Sometimes mm-hmm. it can just be a sanity check, right, of just checking how do we compete with our peers? I mean, what is the average cash conversion cycle for our industry? Are we above, below it? Where do we rank up? And really the outcome of that is is trying to force these organizational changes to be more focused around cash, right? So having treasury in every sales and procurement decision, a decision and having, you know, data and analytics to really drive the conversation is critical. 
And what we really see coming out of that is a true transformation project, right? Because you can't rely just on organizational change alone. You also have to have the real-time data, the tools, and the analytics behind it to be able to give that to your workforce to make these decisions timely and to, quite frankly, you know, improve your cash conversion cycle. Thank you very much, Denise. Andy Baxter, love to get your thoughts on this. You know, I I, I agree with with everything that 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 everyone said so far. You know, I think in in this day and age of of continued margin compression and global globalization and increased competition, increasing rates, um, the focus of working capital optimization is is key on a CFO's radar. Um, I, I would I, I would say that the most effective situations or, or the best companies that I've seen um, manage through these cycles are those where it's not born out of a out of a crisis mode. It's, mm-hmm. it's something that is innately important to them, and they manage around on an ongoing basis, up from the board oh. from the board level on down to mm-hmm. the the AP clerk. Um, there's an understanding that. What each individual does impacts how they're managing their business from a financial and working capital standpoint, but also the business as a whole. Um, you look at technology these days, right? And I, you know, I think working capital historically, as I said, was, was traditionally maybe a financial function, right? Managing cash and deciding upon, you know, hurdle rates and, you know, you know your internal weighted average cost of capital. But... What oftentimes have been lost is the fact that the way that you process invoices, the way that you purchase goods from your suppliers, the way that you negotiate terms uh, and pay those pay suppliers impacts almost much more than what Treasury can do. So, um, so in sum, I would really say that it's, it, 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 it shouldn't be born from a crisis mode. It really should be something that, again, is, is part of the way that a company is managing itself on an ongoing basis. Thank you very much. All very thoughtful answers. And let's go around the table one time before we take our break. I know we're deep into the conversation, and thank you to my panelists for indulging my question. I appreciate it. Gerhard, let's take a look at where you are today. Gerhard Airbosch, where are you today? And I'd love to know, what's your favorite drink? Because I can hear the power in your voice and the passion for the topic. So what powers you? Talk to me, Gerhard. Well, I guess it's the power of Chicago. Um, <laughs> Good the, one. <laughs> at the 28, uh, the 28 uh, degrees Fahrenheit that we have. And, uh, well, what am I having here? I'm actually having, since, since it's so cold outside, I'm having a nice cup of uh, pure rooibos red tea, which I guess is originally from marvelous South Africa. Mmm, <laughs> sounds delicious. Is it hot? Do you put anything in it? It's hot. Yes, it is. <laughs> Okay, thank you very much. You put any lemon in it or sugar or no, mint no leaf or lemon, anything? No, lemon. no, no, just the pure rooibos red tea taste. Thank you very much. Good to know. And Ms. Denise McGuigan, Denise, where are you today and what do you love to drink that powers you? Yes, I am actually in Atlanta, Georgia today. Uh, it's not very sunny, a little bit cloudy, a little bit of an overcast. Kind of reminds me of home. I'm originally from Northern Ireland, so what's mm-hmm. in my cup is a nice cup of warm tea um, and I do bring my own tea bags I, uh, <laughs> I typically like to keep my tea bags from Ireland so I'm drinking a nice cup of hot Barry's tea right now Ooh, and what was the name of the tea again I want to know Barry's tea B-A- B-A-R-R-Y-S Barry's tea 
Bar- we, we here in the states we call that Barry's. Some people say if you're from, I'm looking at it. Barry's tea. It's on Amazon. Let's see. Uh, Barry's tea gold blend tea bags. Is that what you're that what you're enjoying? That's exactly it. You got it. Oh, okay. Barry's tea is an Irish tea company founded in 1901 by James J. Barry in Cork City. Until the 1960s, tea was sold from a shop in Prince's Street. But after that, the company expanded its wholesaling and distribution. By the mid 80s, it had become a national brand. And there's more. So go to Wikipedia and look up B A R R Y apostrophe S T and enjoy. Thank you very much, Denise. Uh, it's you know I've I've been doing this show, these shows for about seven years now. I've spoken to thousands of people and it always delights me when somebody comes up with a tea or a wine or a beer that I've never heard of. I'm very curious. So thank you for the introduction to Barry's Tea and I'll try to pronounce it your way, Barry's Tea. I appreciate that. And (laughs) Andy Baxter, I don't know if you can top that one, but you can certainly give it a try. Where are you today, Andy? Is it warm or cold and what's in your cup today? I will try. Um, I am, I'm calling in from um, right outside of Philadelphia where it is cold and snowy and we're about to get hit with our uh, our fourth large winter storm in a row. So so right now uh, it's only noon here on the East Coast and I'm just drinking a, a, a simple bottle of water. But uh, I am leaving for Barbados on Friday <gasps> for a quick, <sighs> short trip. So I'm dreaming of, uh, of mixing up a nice Hemingway daiquiri with some local Barbados Mount Gay rum, finding a nice chair on the beach, a good book, and trying to put this cold weather behind me. Oh, I know. Hemingway Daiquiri, you're killing me here. Let's see. Hemingway Daiquiri recipe at foodandwine.com. Can I read the recipe? You sure can. Okay, two ounces of white rum, three-quarters of an ounce of fresh lime juice, a half an ounce of fresh grapefruit juice. I'm puckering up, Andy. Half an ounce of maraschino liqueur and a lime wheel for garnish. Do you like the lime wheel in yours? Sure do. Got to have it. Okay, Hemingway Special is an all-day cocktail based on the Floridita daiquiri recognized by the IBA. We'll just leave that one alone. There are recipes for it all over the web. Am I fast or what, Andy? I think I warned you on the prep call. I'm in Durham, North Carolina. We're supposed to get a little bit of snow again. We had snow four weeks ago. It was eight inches. I, being a diligent New Yorker, I just moved here six months ago. I borrowed a snow shovel from one of my neighbors, and I set about 45 minutes of clearing the front walk, the uh, front sidewalk, the walkway to the house, a double wide driveway. I worked hard. I was so proud of myself. And 48 hours later, the snow melted and the joke was on me. But at least I had a clean sidewalk and a clean driveway. That's what happens when you bring your old habits to a new location. They don't let me have caffeine on radio show days, Denise and Andy and Gerhard, and you know why. So all I'm allowed to drink is water. But I have it with a green straw because despite the up and down weather, we can go from 32 in the morning to 67 in the afternoon here and back again that night. It's very hard to predict the temperature range here, but everything is starting to be very green, and I'm very grateful for that, so I have a green straw. We're talking about a very serious topic here. We've already done a pretty deep dive into it optimizing your working capital, cashing in for your bottom line. If your company thinks it's only something you do when you're dangerously close to the edge, as in crisis mode, no, no, no. You can take a step back, your CFO, your treasury team, your finance department, whatever you want to call them, and you can make it an operational procedure, standard SOP, standard operating procedure, and just do it for a financial health check all the time. Why wait for a crisis? We're speaking today with Gerhard 
Urbosh at The Hackett Group, Denise McGuigan at Deloitte, and Andy Baxter at SAP. I'm Bonnie D. Graham. We have so much more to cover. You really don't want to miss the rest of the show. We're going to take a 90-second break, so don't even think of touching that mouse, that app, that dial. You know the drill. Aaron out. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. Isn't it time for you to transform your finance organization? SAP is leading the way with groundbreaking technology to help finance professionals transform finance. S4 HANA, powered by SAP, is a part of SAP S4 HANA, the next generation business suite. SAP S4 HANA Finance draws upon innovative in-memory mobile and cloud technologies to deliver one common secure view of all your information across finance. This gives you instant insight to drive enterprise-wide strategic value. Learn more about SAP S4 HANA Finance at SAP.com. The business community's first choice in Internet Talk Radio, Voice America Business Network. Welcome back to Financial Excellence with Game Changers, presented by SAP. Comments, questions? Send an email to bonnie.d.gram at sap.com. And you're invited to tweet during and after the show at hashtag SAPRADIO. Now, let's get back to financial excellence with Game Changers. Yes, indeed. Financial excellence is important for your company all the time, not just in crisis red flag mode. We're talking about optimizing working capital, cashing in for your bottom line with Gerhard Erbosch at the Hackett Group, Denise McGuigan at Deloitte, Andy Baxter at SAP, and I'm still Bonnie D. Graham and plan to be for the rest of the show. After that, all bets are off. I'm looking at Gerhard's notes he sent me before the show, and here's an interesting topic where we will start our roundtable. He says the top 1,000 U.S. companies have over $1 trillion, that's right, $1 trillion of improvement opportunity tied up in working capital. Gerhard, I'm just going to stop there and let you tell us what this all means. Go ahead, please. Yeah, I think this is a, a whopper doozy. Uh, this is a big <laughs> sum of money, <laughs> a lot of improvement opportunity. Uh, I mean, we do every year uh, a survey of the top uh, 1,000 U.S. companies. Uh, we also do them in Europe. Uh, and in the U.S., basically, if you look at performance uh, over time um, and also when you look at median performance and uh, upper quartile performance, basically, if you look at all those that are actually not in the upper quartile, and uh, if you compute it, uh, basically, well, what kind of performance would they have if they were in the upper quartile, then uh, basically the sum of the opportunity between the status quo and the upper quartile level of performance is really $1 trillion. That's 5.6% of the U.S. GDP for these 1,000 publicly listed, uh, listed companies. Now, how is that composed? Uh, about $400 billion is in inventory. Uh, we see $300 billion in receivables and about $300 uh, billion as well uh, in payables. And, and by the way, the, the order of magnitude, the, the trillion number in euros mm-hmm. is very similar 
um, in Europe. Uh, maybe one interesting fact as well that we see year over year, if you look at those companies, and we talked a lot, uh, both Andy and, uh, and Denise, uh, as well at should we look at this in a crisis mode only uh, at all? We actually see time and again, uh, out of these 1,000 companies that we look at, if you look at the performance over five years and you look at all three areas of working capital, typically less than a handful. I mean, we're talking like three, two companies really consistently improve year over year over five years in all three elements of working capital. So I mm. think companies are leaving a lot of money on the table. Do they know it? Do they know it, Gerhard? Are they, are they sitting there saying, yep, let's go take a look at the table. It's 5 o'clock. We're not going to. We see all the money. Or is, is this coming, if they hear this right now and they hear these words coming out of your mouth on the radio, are they saying, what? Does he mean us? So just quickly before I bring Denise and Andy in, what do you think? Are they aware of this? Yeah. I mean, obviously, we publish this research every, uh, every year. And obviously, we mm-hmm. speak to a lot of companies. And what we see is some companies actually um, – take a conscious decision not to focus on working capital given the overall portfolio of improvement initiatives um, that they have and other companies that actually make it a priority, uh, especially those that are, let's say, continuously improving, they actually understand that working capital is uh, much more than focusing uh, on improving cash, but it's really the barometer of the quality of your processes. So if you address working capital, you're killing various birds with one stone. Thank you very much, Denise McGuigan at Deloitte. Love to get your thoughts on this. Yes, and, and some very, very interesting um, stats there. Um, it's definitely very interesting indeed. And when, when you think about the amount of money left on the table, right, and, and you look at the cash conversion cycle averages, um, it's, it's obviously, it's very obvious by industry it differs, right? So certain industries um, do actually have quite a bit of trouble with this. Um, other industries do very well. You know, the airlines industry might actually have a negative um, cash conversion. But if you look mm-hmm. at some of the other industries and in the heavy manufacturing industries, they really struggle. And their cash conversion can be anything from 70 to plus 100 days. And when you think about how to really optimize this and, and really where to start, and, you know, we did talk about crisis mode and maybe the board just doing a check. You know, where do you start to fix all of this? And CFOs, they really are continuously searching um, for material for value creation, right? And if you look through the different levers, if you just take order to cash, for example, right, and you look at your impact and free cash flow, you know, your reward trade-offs, disputes, for example, around invoice erosion, you know, we continue to see a lot of these areas struggle from an end-to-end process integration perspective. And, of course, they're all looking for these efficiency gains, right, that's really driven by business growth, um, M&A opportunities, product line extensions, where they really need this cash available to be actually be able to go off and fulfill their objectives. Um, of course, profitability is another one, right? You could have a, a mandate to optimize discount spend, or, or maybe you're under a cost reduction initiative to drive additional gross margin. But to really optimize the components within working capital, right, and understand how to improve the levers around AR, AP, and inventory, as we've heard, you really have to improve that cash management culture, right? And there's really some best practices around this. And one of them is really using technology to shorten the cash conversion cycle. You know, things such as delivering invoices electronically. That can help speed up your billing and collections, Um Things such as implementing vendor portals, right? So allowing Mm -hmm. your vendors to access the payment options and invoices. 
um, looking further and optimizing your finance function, um, optimizing AR, which can help reduce error rates on invoices, relook at your collection strategies, um, renegotiation more favorable terms, for example, or use those volume rebates just to have more cash. And I know we touched on inventory as well. And what we've seen some of our, our clients do is really analyze the accounts and the skew profitability, right, to be able to identify slow or moving, um, obsolete inventory. Um, and even things such as your supply chain strategy, right? So if you source product from um, a low-cost country, you may get lower costs up front, but you may need to order more in advance. So being able to have that data, being able to make those decisions, really having cash flow visible to your organization is absolutely critical because then you move into your cash forecasting and actuals and being able to see the, the variables and the variances there and being able to take action. So when you think about all that money that's left in the table and the statistics that Gerhard threw out, I think the time is, is really now for companies to really pay attention to some of these uh, working capital optimization strategies. Thank you very much, Denise. Very, very interesting. I hope everybody in our audience is taking notes. We've got some really great information shared here. Andy Baxter, love to get your thoughts. I, I, I think uh, Gard and Denise uh, summed it up perfectly. But I, I think, Bonnie, you asked one question as to, you know, why is, is this on the radar of CFOs mm-hmm. and, and boards, et cetera? But I think a big reason is it, it's really hard, too. It's a, it's a, it's a big project. And I think numerous comp- or many companies have, you know, continually try to improve aspects of working capital, whether it, whether it be around inventory or whether it be around uh, improving receivables or, or, uh, or, or taking a look at payment terms and how you currently pay suppliers. But all in all, it's a process. It's a very big undertaking. And I liked what Denise had mentioned about and, uh, or, or Garda mentioned about peer benchmarking. I think that's a wonderful place to start and somewhere that we, we often work with our customers around is, is leveraging, um, re- leveraging data around where a company currently is in, in respects to both its industry and its peers to try to give some, some, some information around where, can be, where improvements can be made, how mm-hmm. they can be made, and what processes and procedures need to be, need to be affected. I mean, you take, just for example, you look at, you look at from a from a day's payable outstanding aspect. Um, a lot of as- a lot of times companies are paying suppliers, oftentimes too quickly, and in mm. a sense, suppliers are almost financing um, uh, these companies in a sense. And there should be a way to to start thinking about how you pay your suppliers. Should we think about extending payment terms to be more in line with industry peers, while at the same time making sure that we're not being one-sided against our suppliers. So how can we effectively manage the, the trade-offs to make sort of a mutually beneficial program with, say, our supply base and, and our supply chain? Um, but all in all, um, great comments. Mm-hmm. I, I think it's, it's, it just goes to show the complexity of programs such as these and the need for various departments within a company to play together and work well together. Thank you, Andy. Very, very thoughtful comments. Gerhard, this was your opening topic. Anything you want to wrap up on this? Because I have something from Denise's list I want to go to next. Thank you, Bonnie. Yeah, uh, I agree with both Denise and, and Andy, uh, absolutely. And now, I think the key thing really is, uh, apart from really the, the technical uh, point of view, the content of the processes, the technology really to involve, uh, of course, not the, not just senior uh, management, 
from the different functions, uh, but of course, uh, especially involve middle management. They're really the key uh, to driving cultural change uh, because we have to make sure that really within the processes, that the best practice processes that we're setting up, that we have the right decision rules, the right incentives, and we have the commitment, not just at a senior level, but at a middle management level. Um, That's very critical. Thank you very much. Denise, I, you may have touched on a little bit of this, but you have a very powerful statement here among your many good statements in your roundtable notes you sent me. You say, understanding the supporting enablers of working capital optimization is critical, and you list policy and process, organization, talent and people, systems and information, everything from, and I think you mentioned this, efficient service delivery models, a lack of governments and control, governance and control, lack of integrated systems. Let's talk about policy process, organization, talent, people, systems, and information. This sounds like it's a big job. Is this something that as a company gets bigger and bigger and bigger and more siloed and more pockets of control that this gets out of control in terms of having that holistic grip on working capital optimization? Denise, Help me out here, please. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so some of the co- common problems we often hear from our clients, right, of, especially around, you know, in the payables or the receivable spaces, I have no way to obtain real-time metrics, and we have no formal structure to manage working capital. And um, quite frankly, they don't have time to focus on working capital. Sometimes what we hear, um, and they can't easily see the audit trail and, you know, and as I mentioned before, when we speak to our CFOs, this really is top of mind when they think through cash um, and how they can have a better view of their cash, being able to convert their cash quickly. Um, and predictive analytics is, is really top of the agenda, too, from being able to see into the future, if you will, going back to my, my quote. But we typically take an approach of, you know, reviewing the cash conversion process through, you know, suppliers, purchase to pay forecast to fulfill, order to cash, customers, it really is cross-functional. And I think Andy and Gerhard um, um, alluded to that earlier as well. So when you review the supporting enablers, such as, you know, the policy and processes around all of this, um, organizational talent, um, and having the systems and information, it's, it's absolutely critical to have a very, very good handle on that. Because, you know, going back to the common challenges around manual processing, lack of visibility, um, no scaling of discount programs and having these rigid and buyer-initiated payment terms, that really equates to very, very poor management um, around working capital optimization. Um, and, and where I believe, you know, all of this is going to go towards is, is really around the technology as well. So you have the, con- the transformation program around um, the organization and the culture and the focus of cash and having that cross-functional viewpoint. But then delving into it a little deeper... I think technology and data do hold a lot of answers to solving many of these working capital challenges we see today. Um, new solutions are not only enabling um, Treasury to better manage this, but it, it definitely plays a pivotal role in um, shaping the whole business. Um, I feel digital transformation is very much upon us. Um, it's forcing our clients and companies to basically rethink their operating models, their data structures. It's shifting them from that insight-driven metrics instead of waiting to month in to pull certain reports. Um, you know, we've heard uh, most organizations typically try to improve DPO first, 
stays payable outstanding mm-hmm. first because they feel they have more control in negotiating terms, for example. Um, and they're a little fearful, right? They want to uphold customer service levels um, on the DSO and DIO side. So they're a little reluctant to go after some of the opportunities there. Um, but, you know, what if organizations could make cash every part mm-hmm. of this business decision? Um, what if they had a tool to be able to help them understand if I change my DSO, if I reduce it just by two days, I will have this in cash benefits. Um, you know, what can I do around um, my DIO? And this all leads to the new technologies that's in play. It really is feasible for businesses today. When you start getting into machine learning algorithms, you know, even around credit policies, for example, right, and being able to offer improved payment terms, um, all this leads back to that working capital optimization. Um, it's really no longer static anymore. I feel like working capital optimization is dynamic, and it really is technology and data that's a big driving force behind this as well. Thank you, Denise. All good stuff. Andy Baxter, love to get your thoughts. A lot of interesting topics shared from Denise. Go ahead, Andy. I, I love this topic, and I, I think it's I think it's a great one. And uh, you know, I love what Denise had, Denise mentioned about how technology can help solve some of these issues. But um, I was just talking to a customer or a client of ours uh, last week in regards to you know ways to enable success of uh, of, an, of a of a program. And you know, number one, it really comes from from really having this you know understanding the stakeholders that are that are included and understanding the ways that we need to communicate these messages to the, to our to our um, to our uh, uh, stakeholders, that may very well be middle management, and that may be the, the the clerks within accounts receivable and accounts payable. It is all so 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 important. Um, the fact that technology is changing so quickly, it's forcing companies to think differently around the way that they do things, um, and that's hard sometimes, uh, especially for companies that have been doing something one way for for thirty years. Um, but the way that procure-to-pay technology is, is, is evolving. The way that uh, companies are sourcing products uh, is changing. There's, there's ways to become much, much more efficient. Um, it doesn't happen overnight. It's an evolution. It's something that, that, that needs to be at- paid attention to on a, on a daily uh, and weekly basis. But all in all, I, uh, you know, I think this topic was inc- incredibly important. I could probably spend probably the whole show talking just about this. This one. Absolutely. But. Thank you. Gerhard, I'd love to get your thoughts on this. Join us, please. Yeah, thank you. Uh, yeah, I fully agree. I think uh, investing in technology, improving technology is absolutely mandatory. There is no way around that. Um, but I would say that technology is actually a necessary condition, but not a sufficient condition. Uh, to give you an example, I mean, we've seen this, we've looked at this now for more than 40 years, and uh, new and new technologies have become available. Obviously, there are some revolutionary technologies uh, that are becoming available in which we're, which we're implementing. But we haven't actually seen with the onset, with the advent of new technologies, a drastic improvement in working capital performance over the last decades. I mean, to give you the crassest example for me is really, uh, and I mean, obviously companies have been spending a lot on technology, is DIO. Yeah, DIO. I mentioned uh, the uh, U.S. Working Capital Survey. So um, if you look at all the industries and you take out the cyclical uh, it's a special oil and gas sector out, but actually DIO increased from 48.5 days uh, in mm-hmm. 2008 uh, to, well, actually a high of 54, and it went down to, well, 53 days uh, recently. So we see an increasing trend. Now, obviously, 
there's a, an offsetting factor here, which is, of course, more globalized supply chains. Organizations are becoming more and more complex, and, and you refer to that uh, yourself, Bonnie. Mm-hmm. Uh, organizations become bigger and bigger, and there's the complexity. That, so we need technology, right? And above that, of course, we need, um, uh, we need cultural, uh, we need cross-functional collaboration and the right decision rules using information smartly within the technology and the systems that are available. But technology is absolutely mandatory. Thank you very much. Denise, this was your topic, obviously very powerful for the rest of the panel. Denise, anything you want to say to wrap up before I, oh, I have a couple of minutes, I can move on to one more topic from Andy, but go ahead, Denise. Yes, yes, some great perspectives from Gerhard and Andy, and I really liked um, Gerhard's point in technology and how it is a true enabler, and, and Andy's perspective around stakeholders' perspective. I mean, I think that's critical um, in understanding the, the perspective of the stakeholders. I mean, communication is key across across the, the company. Companies have to understand, you know, which levers are more effective and how to use them consistently in order to, to adhere to the working capital vision and goals of the company. Thank you very much. Andy Baxter, I have a couple of statistics here. Probably should have opened the show with them, but as they say, it's never too late. At least I just said that. You say 10 years after the Great Recession, corporate America has amassed a record amount of cash as of the second quarter of 2017, which is heading up to oh, almost a year ago. Non-financial companies' liquid assets totaled over $2 trillion, up nearly 60% since the end of the recession in mid-2009, and a sizable amount of this cash is currently held overseas. So what are they all doing about it, Andy? So it's, it's a massive, massive amount of, of, of cash. And it opens up a lot of questions and opportunities as far as what's going to happen with, with some of this, as he as asked. And you look at tax legislation that is just, that, that is just passed around um, you know, encouraging some of these some of these companies to start repatriating or bringing back some of this cash to the United States, and not only will that spur the economy, or so that's the that's the that's the goal, but but all in all, you know, the one times ta- tax rate of I think fifteen and a half percent on on bringing cash back back in the United States, and that's a big big um, incentive for companies like Apple. And Microsoft, Apple alone has, I think, two, over two hundred fifty billion dollars of cash mm. outside of the United States. Um, so the question is: Is what are companies going to u- do with this? With this cash, are they going to invest it in the economy? Are they going to are they going to use it for M and A? Are they going to use it for debt repayment or, you know, investment in R and D, share repurchase, dividends? There's a, there's a host of different things that companies could use, but one of those is is is, is around working capital flush with this new cash, how can they use that to generate greater returns? Um, opportunities such as looking at company discounting programs, right? So, so taking a look at saying we have X amount of dollars that we are setting aside for paying our suppliers early. Again, there's a benefit for a supplier to, 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 uh, to get paid early and you'd be able to use those funds and manage their own working capital. There's a benefit to the buyer of, of, of paying sooner. At a uh, at a uh, at a at a discounted uh, discounted price. In addition, if you think about just holding on to your cash, right? I think all of us, you know, the, the the longer we hold on to cash, you know, granted interest rates are relatively low, but holding on to cash generates a certain return. You can use you can let that sit in cash, and it'll, it'll earn a a measly interest rate, or you can invest it in your business. You can invest it in different projects. Um, 
But the fact is, is holding on to cash also helps to generate a working capital benefit as well. And, you know, what we, what we look at, if you, if you think about that, if, you know, what we're talking about here is for every $1 billion of, of say, your spend with your suppliers, if you push that out or extend that by 15 days, that can result in over $40 million in free cash flow. Mm. That's sizable. And that really can impact and make a difference on, in your, on, on a company's cash conversion cycle. So there's a lot of different ways that, 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 and levers that companies have to manage their cash and manage their working capital. Um, the fact that um, cash balances are so large at this point really give companies a lot of opportunities, but at the same, at the same point, a lot of decisions that need to be made as well. Thank you very much. And Andy, you very nicely brought us right up to the crystal ball predictions round. And we've been talking about a lot of reality checks here on optimizing working capital. Now I want you all to take a look forward into the future. It could be tomorrow. It could be 2020. I never have gotten Barbara Walters' voice out of my earworm. 2020, all those years, and now we're almost there, and it's going to be real, whether she's saying it or not. Or any time in the future, let's not go out more than 10 years. So Gerhard Air. Bosch, I'd love for you to look into that crystal ball. My engineer, Aaron, knows I own a 36-inch mirrored disco ball from an old, old hotel on the West Coast that I, I bought about 40 years ago. And so he wants to change this part of the show to the predictions round with the disco ball. But we'll stick to the crystal ball. So there you go, a little higher up on the food chain. Gerhard at the Hackett Group, love to have you look forward in whatever vehicle you're using and tell us what will change dramatically about this topic. Gerhard, 60 seconds. They're all yours. Go. Okay, thank you, Bonnie. Uh, yeah, definitely working capital will increase in importance over the next years, on the one hand, driven by a rise in interest rates, and on the other hand, because of the more complex, greater organizations, uh, global supply chains, and also significantly increasing customer demand. So they want more product and service uh, variety, shorter product life cycles that makes business ever more complex. Um, we definitely see more implementations of new technologies, artificial intelligence, um, robotics. Um, but still, what will be very important, as well mentioned previously as well, is how are we, how are we, what kind of decision rules are we taking? Are we using technology wisely? I mean, master data. Uh, itself will continue to be important. The co- cross-functional uh, collaboration will continue uh, important. We need the metrics and we need the right incentives. Uh, the way we collaborate will be different um, and no doubt it will be more technology-based, but what makes the difference really is the way we collaborate using the technology. Thank you. Very well put. Denise McGuigan at Deloitte, take a look in the crystal ball. I saved 60 seconds for you, Denise. Go ahead. Yeah, and in, in addition to that, I actually do believe, just adding on to the technology comment, that machine learning will finally go mainstream um, in enterprise and, and transforming business, right, with, with some out-of-the-box uh, machine learning experiences. We've seen a lot of um, large software vendors coming forward with with very unique and innovative designs for the finance space with um, with artificial intelligence and machine learning. Um, I think even IDC forecasts that um, artificial intelligence and ML will grow from like a $12 billion market to, to close to $60 billion by 2021. So you can see, you know, where the market is going. And from a finance perspective, I think the opportunities are, are really, really endless. 
But but not to forget, though, in addition to technology, you do need that clear structure and organizational toolset to help drive the efficient working capital optimization program. Um, and really going back to, you know, the comments around the stakeholders' perspectives mm-hmm. and make sure they're managed in terms of converting cash and collection strategies, um, communicating throughout your organization to make sure that, you know, things such as, Embedding those working capital metrics and forecasting and, and being able to link that back, um, they really have to understand the levers and, and how to really use them and get to the goal of, of working capital optimization. So I, can, I do view a lot of transformational type projects, um, obviously enabled bit by technology, but a lot around different service delivery models, operating models, um, to really get to that goal of working capital optimization. Thank you very much. And Andy Baxter, I saved 60 seconds for you. Go ahead. All right. Um, you know, I think working capital will continue to be a top priority, um, whether it be a year from now, five years from now, or 10 years from now. Um, the fact is, is that companies are constantly looking for levers to improve their income and balance sheets, and, and, and working capital optimization is just one of those tools to do it. Um, software obviously is going to play a massive role in in whatever um, in whatever happens in the next over the next um, three to five years. Um, you look at um, improvements in procure to pay. Uh, we talked about sourcing. You know, you know some dynamic discounting solutions and things of that nature. Um, vendor portals again, visibility for suppliers to see when they're going to get paid versus versus in the past where it was somewhat of a black hole. Um, it's going to be constantly, it's going to be a major focus. Um, shareholders demand it. And as competition continues to heat up on a global scale, companies constantly look for ways to, ways to um, um, compete um, and, uh, against sort of margin compression. And working capital, again, is really a tool to do that. So technology is going to be a big piece of it. I completely agree with Gerhard and, and, Denise, and Denise on that. Um, it'll be an interesting uh an interesting run over the next uh, couple of years. I'm looking forward to it. Thank you very much. Thank you to my three extraordinarily smart, savvy, and insightful panelists. Thanks for bringing it down to a level where even I could understand it. I really appreciate it. I looked at the topic and I said, oh, no. And now I'm saying, yes, yes. You really explained it so well. And thank you for your passion on this. Gerhard Erzbosch, thank you so much at the Hackett Group, Denise McGuigan at Deloitte. Pleasure to meet you. You're one of dozens and dozens of people at Deloitte who have populated our panels here on Game Changers. And a big shout out to Carla Neal who has been tweeting. Thank you very much, Carla. Andy Baxter at SAP, pleasure to meet you. Shout out to Michael Alexander Deal and Chris Grundy at SAP for putting together this extraordinary panel. And Aaron, our engineer extraordinaire at the Business Channel at World Talk Radio. So I'm Bonnie D. Graham. Thanks for listening. I'll be back live tomorrow with two shows, 11 a.m. Eastern Coffee Break with Game Changers. And we're going to continue our topic on social selling etiquette, do unto others, the golden rule, and 8 p.m. Eastern tomorrow, launch a brand new show called Asia Soaring with APJ Game Changers, talking about the Internet of Things and the Asia Pacific market. Live 8 p.m. my time, and it'll be 9 a.m. in Singapore, where my panel is situated. So have a great one. Fasten your seatbelt. What in the world are you waiting for? Go out and be a game changer today, just like Gerhard, just like Denise, just like Andy. Have a great day. Bye bye. Thanks again for tuning in to Financial Excellence with Game Changers, presented by SAP, helping you to run simple. To keep the conversation going, 
Tweet your questions and comments to hashtag SAPRADIO. And join host Bonnie D. Graham Tuesdays at 9 a.m. Pacific Time, 12 noon Eastern Time, here on the Business Channel. Wishing you a game-changing week.